As always, it's great to be with you this morning to share the Word of God. We're going to continue through the book of Matthew. This morning we're talking about Woe to the Hypocrites, Part 2. Woe to the Hypocrites, Part 2. Let's pray together one more time. Father, thank you for your kindness and grace and mercy, God. You are working up until this very moment, God, up until this very day. Your Spirit is at work, God. Please, Lord, please work in us today. Speak to us. Help us understand, believe, trust, and obey in God and be ready. Ready for you. When you return. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 23. As we talk about woe to the hypocrites part two, I said last week that so uh, hard, hard um, text here. Jesus's strongest language in the Bible as he uh, condemns the Pharisees. For their hypocrisy and pronounces judgment upon them in a very severe way. And I do think there's some important lessons to be learned from Jesus' woes to the Pharisees here in Matthew chapter 23. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about this morning is, is um, Jesus' condemnation and what we can learn about it from woe to the hypocrites. Part 2. So we're going to jump right in this morning. If you have a Bible and you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the second half of Jesus' woes to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 16. Verse 16. It says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears... By the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So... Whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind God, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. 
so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus, you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your forefathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will flog in your syn- uh, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some of whom you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. The word of God may be seated. Talking about woe to the hypocrites, and we're going to talk about kind of three different woes here the way I see it. Number one is woe for bending the truth. Woe for bending the truth. Number two, woe for playing the hypocrite. Woe for playing the hypocrite. Number three, woe for despising God's word. Woe for despising God's word. First, we're going to talk about woe for bending the truth. Woe for bending the truth. So Jesus is condemning these leaders. If you are reading through the book of Matthew, which I hope you have done and which I encourage you to continue to do. Okay, and you look at the flow of the story, right? Jesus it, it, there has been this mounting tension, okay, especially in Jesus' last days here in Jerusalem, this growing and mounting tension and confrontations between Jesus and the Pharisees, okay, they, and uh, we had a part where they were questioning Jesus, and then Jesus silenced them with a question of his own, and now he is pronouncing woes on them for their hardness of heart and their unbelief. And so, Talking about this generation, he's really pronouncing judgment upon this unbelieving Jewish generation. Because immediately after this passage, at the end of chapter 23 there, you'll see that he, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Why? Because judgment is coming. Because there will, there will soon not be one stone left upon another. Okay? And that leads into Matthew 24, where he talks about the end times. Okay? And, and part of that is... Um, Part of that is the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay? And so, as he's pronouncing these woes here, in this particular one, he attacks the practice of swearing and making oaths. Now, a long time ago, you remember in Matthew chapter 5, when we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, right? There's a, there's a section in there where Jesus talks about, the, about swearing and making of oaths, okay? And... If you remember from that time, we concluded that contrary to what some Christians have believed, particularly those of some of the the Anabaptist traditions who some people will say that you should not make an oath at all whatsoever, including like in a court of law, you should not swear to tell the truth, for example. But we concluded there that Jesus is not attacking all oaths whatsoever, but what he is doing is he is attacking the complex system of oath-taking and oath-making that developed that was attended initially at least 
to avoid the profanation of God's name. So remember, one of the most serious commandments of the Ten Commandments that, that they took very seriously was you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Right? You should avoid profaning God's name. And, and one way to take the name of the Lord in vain, obviously, would be to take an oath to swear to God. Which some people say that. They say, I swear to God. You really shouldn't do that unless you really mean it. Okay? All right? But taking these oaths, okay, one way to profane in God's name is to take an oath in God's name and, and, and just not really mean anything by it. Either just be taking it lightly, taking God's name lightly, or intentionally violating a vow that you, you took. Okay? That's profaning. That profanes God's name. We know that the Jews held God's name in high regard because, for example, um, the... Uh, uh, that they would not even pronounce. So we don't know how we don't know how early this goes back exactly, but we know that from the ancient Hebrew manuscripts that we have, okay, that they didn't pronounce they didn't pronounce the divine name, right? So in your Old Testament, if you flip through your Old Testament, you'll notice that there's a word Lord, but it's in all caps, in small caps, capital L O R D. That and remember, I've said, I've said to you before, that's not a title. That is a, that, is a, that is a rendering of actual God's personal name. My name is Chad. God, has a, a t- God is title. The name God is title. That's not a name. My name is Chad. I'm a person, but my name is Chad. God has a name that he told Moses. And it's the divine name. Sometimes it's pronounced Yahweh. And sometimes uh, the, the, the Germans pronounced it Jehovah. Okay? It's, it's a name. It's God's personal name. God has a name. Okay? And so they didn't even pronounce the divine name out of fear of taking it in vain. But, however, apparently resulting from this became this practice of, of taking oaths, but not by God's name. Okay? But they would take these oaths by all kinds of different things. I swear by the altar. I swear by the temple. I swear by heaven. I swear by my head. Okay? And there had become this, um, this uh, apparently this kind of system developed to where some oaths were considered binding while some oaths weren't. And so you could swear by this, and, it, and then if you broke that oath, it wasn't a big deal. But if you swore by this and you broke it, oh, that was a big deal. Okay? And so, in other words... They had these kind of, all these rules about which O's were binding and which O's weren't. And Jesus' point is this. He's saying, how hypocritical is it to say that one is bound to his word if you swear, uh, if you swear by the gold in the temple, but not bound to the word by his oath to swear by the temple itself? Because what? Because the gold is only sacred because it's in the temple. Gold isn't sacred. It's only the temple that makes the temple gold sacred. Okay? And in the same way, what about the altar? It's how hypocritical is it to say that a, an oath based off the gift on the altar is binding, but an oath taken on the altar itself isn't. When it is the altar, God's prescribed altar that makes the gift sacred. Okay? So in other words, in other, it was, it's interesting about these, these kind of attacks that Jesus is making is that they... They're swearing by gold and gifts 
are binding as opposed to the temple and the altar. What did the Pharisees love? They loved money and self. What does he condemn them for later? He says, he says, greed and self-indulgence there in verse 25. Greed and self-indulgence. What did they swear by? Money and food. And he accuses them of what? Greed and self-indulgence. Because what they really cared about wasn't the temple or the altar. They cared about money and food. And he's saying, what hypocrisy? How hypocritical? So what is Jesus' logic? He's saying, it's very simple. He's saying, look, if you, if you make some kind of oath by what's on the altar, then of course you're swearing by the altar and everything on it. If you make an oath by what's in the temple, you're swearing by the temple and everything in it. And then he goes on to say, if you swear by heaven, you're swearing by the throne of God. So, and, and, it, and so to swear, and so basically he's just saying this. He's saying everything belongs to God. So, so no matter what you swear by, you're swearing by God. You swear by heaven? That's God's throne. You swear by the head on your head. Guess what? God numbers them. And you belong to him. If you swear by anything, you're swearing by God. This is the logic that Jesus had in Matthew chapter 5. We'll just read it again from the Sermon on the Mount. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to, perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. In other words, Jesus is, so in other words, the whole point is this. They created this system of oaths so that essentially, so that essentially they could say things and then not have to keep to their word. And they created loopholes for themselves saying, oh, well, this wasn't binding so that they could get out of their own word. And Jesus is condemning that by saying, no, no, no. As a, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then, then your word, your word, you should... In other words, you shouldn't even have to take an oath to tell the truth. You should just, what you say, your yes should be yes, your no should be no. And, you, and if, if you, if, you know, some people are just like, some people get on this. Sometimes I remember as a kid, you know, some, some kids would get on this kick and everything they said, I said, I swear to God, I swear to God, I swear to God. You ever hear kids do that? Why do they have to do that? Because they've been caught lying. And then, since they've been caught lying, then guess what? You don't know whether you can trust them or not. But guess what? If you have to swear, you've already fallen. If you have to swear to prove the truth of your words, then you've already proved, you've already shown something that you're not trustworthy. But if your yes is always yes and your no is always no, you never have to take an oath. You never have to swear because you're trustworthy. This is very fascinating here. I thought it was, thought it was profound. The The... The, Essene, the Essenes were a Jewish religious community that existed during the time of Jesus. They were not party with Jesus, but they were just a, a very strict religious community that was separated out from the rest of the Jews, and they believed they kind of had the true, the true Judaism, if you will. And they lived in the, um, it was, it's in fact in the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are the most famous scrolls 
uh, ancient manuscripts of our Old Testament ever found were found within the caves of the Essene community, okay, from the time of Jesus. And, um, but they were a very strict religious community, okay, that kind of lived out in the desert there. And, um, you know, to the religious elite over in Jerusalem, you know, the Essenes were kind of these weird, weird, strange people. Okay, and what's fascinating is that some of the best history that we have from Jesus' day is from a man named Josephus, who was actually a Pharisee, okay? And he was, um, he was in the next generation right after Jesus, but he actually writes about everything, and he was actually present during the Jewish war on the side of the Romans, actually. He was a Jewish general, but then defected to the Romans, and he tried to plead with the Jews to to surrender so that the Romans wouldn't destroy the city, but obviously that didn't happen. But Josephus wrote these histories that tell us a lot about Jesus' day. And Josephus makes a comment about the Essenes. And this is what he says. Josephus, a Jewish non-Christian, he wasn't a Christian, Jewish historian from the time of Jesus wrote this about the Essenes. He says, every word they say, every word they say is weightier than an oath. And swearing they shun, regarding it worse than perjury. But think about that. Every word they say is weightier than an oath. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be unbelievable if people said that about me and about you and about the followers of Jesus Christ? You know, I don't know about them Christians. I don't, know what they, I don't like some of the things they believe, but you know what? Every word they say is weightier than an oath. Because we take our words seriously. And Jesus condemns the Pharisees for bending the truth. So let's not bend the truth. Number one, woe for bending the truth. Number two, woe for playing the hypocrite. Woe for playing the hypocrite. Of course, all of it's kind of about hypocrisy. But he kind of really highlights this right here. In verses 23 and following, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrite! You tithe mint, dill, and cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind gods, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, and the outside that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you appear righteous to others, and you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So Jesus here is attacking their willful inability to discern the heart and essence of the law, what Jesus calls the weightier matters of the law. So in other words, in Jesus' mind, there were, in fact, some commands of the Old Testament that were weightier than others, that were more important than others. In other words, there's a divine, there's a divine wisdom that was to be exercised with the law such that the, the, the core and heart and essence of the law had to be kept. And it would be wrong, in fact, in many cases, to try to keep the letter of the law if, if, if in so doing, you're actually violating the essence, the heart of the law. Okay? And he gives, the, and he gives an example here. Okay? The Pharisees were unbelievably scrupulous about the letter of the law. 
They had debates about all these things about what you did and did not have to tithe, for example. Y'all, would y'all like to have that debate in here? What you did and did not have to tithe. Okay? They, they tithed mint dill and cumin. In other words, they decided that they had to tithe from their backyard herb garden. Okay? Very scrupulous about that. And yet, and yet, despite the fact that they were tithing from their backyard herb garden, they were actually missing the forest for the trees because they did not care about the weightier matters of the law. Jesus says justice and mercy. Okay? What was the point of the tithe? Right? What was the point of the tithe? Why do we tithe? Why are we supposed to tithe? What's that? Everything comes from God, right? It is, there are many reasons why we can tithe, but we can, say, we can say a few, right? One, I mean, one is everything belongs to God. Two, it's an expression of gratitude, right? It's just, it's just a, way of, a tiny way of saying, God, thank you for the abundance that you've blessed me. If you look in the Old Testament, okay, what did the, what did the, what did the tithe serve? Well, there was actually multiple tithes, okay? One of the tithes was for the sojourners, the strangers, the orphans, and the widow. So one of the parts of the tithes was to help provide for those in need. Which is why, for example, you know, we have benevolence and we help people out here. A portion of your gifts goes to, a portion of your gifts to this church go to the Christian Life Center, which helps lots of people in need. So we give to help people in need. That's part of what the tithe went for in the Old Testament. Right? To help people in need. And then the tithe also went to support the priests and the Levites. That is, you know, those who served in the ministry. Okay? So all, all of that was encapsulated in the tithe. But the point was is that undergirding all those things was love, right? I love God. He has blessed me. So I'm going to respond with love and thankfulness and gratitude. He has blessed me, so I'm going to bless others. He's blessed me, so I'm going to help others. And it's an expression of faith, right? It's an expression of faith. Just like, and, and, and just like the Sabbath, for example, right? I don't need to work on Sunday because God's going to provide what I need. So I can take a break. I can rest because guess what? Everything don't depend on me. It depends on God. So I can take a break. I can rest and I can trust in God. I can give God 10%. Why? Because I can trust him. He's taking care of me this far. He's not going to stop, Right? It's trust, it's love, it's faith, it's mercy. I'm going to tithe because we're helping others in need. I'm going to give generously of what God has blessed me because I'm going to help others. Right? That's why. And so, but see, the the scribes and the Pharisees, they've forgotten the why, and they were so scrupulous about the what. Well, i got to tithe my deal weed, okay? But they didn't actually care about people. They were tithing their dill weed, okay? But then there are hungry people out there that they didn't feed. It's like, well, what's the point? Right? Hypocrites. In the same way, Jesus put it this way. He said, he said, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. (laughs) You ever known somebody who done that? Um, we all have, haven't we? Gnats and camels technically were both unclean, right? So you know, a Pharisee's not gonna not gonna 
have any, you're not going to have anything to do with any unclean animals. So they strained out the gnats. But Jesus said, you strain out the gnats while you're eating the camel. In other words, they were scrupulous in trying to keep themselves unclean in these tiny little minutiae ways, not realizing that they were actually making themselves unclean in the biggest possible way. Because they were so focused on the minutiae of the law that they forgot the, the heart and essence of the law, which is love of God and love of neighbor. They so focused on external righteousness that they neglected the more important part, and that is internal righteousness. Internal righteousness. They looked in the mirror for the body, but they refused to look in the mirror for the soul. You know, we must, and so, remember, and so Jesus says, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. In other words, he's not saying don't have your religion. He's not saying, every, he's not saying it's wrong to, deal, to, to, to tithe out of your herb garden. That's great. Go for it. But if you do that while neglecting the more important part, then you're just wasting your time. The point is, is that we must have religion, right? We got to. There has to be religious practices. There has to be, you can't, you know, it doesn't make any sense to call yourself a Christian if you don't do anything that Christians have always done. Right? Going to church, fellowshipping with other Christians, loving God and neighbor by generously giving to others, worshiping with other believers, reading your Bible, praying to God. If you don't do anything Christians have always done, how can you call yourself a Christian? There, there has to be there is religion. There must be religion. But the, the whole point, of course, is that Christianity is more than just your religious practices. There ha- they have to be there. Every Christian needs to go to church, should go to church. But going to church doesn't, make, doesn't guarantee you're a Christian. So it's not that one is bad. It's just that if you have one without the more important part, if you have the facade of religiosity, but not genuine love for God and neighbor in your heart, then it's a waste of time. It doesn't matter if everything looks right on the outside and if the inside is rotten. So Jesus put it this way, clean the, clean the, uh, they clean the outside of the cup, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. So the remedy, Jesus said, is to clean the inside of, that the outside may be clean also. That's interesting. But Jesus' point is well taken because we know, we know what he means, right? If you take care of the inside, the outside will take care of itself. If you take care of the inside and, 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 look, and we, look, we all... See, we, we, nobody likes to look in the mirror really look in the mirror because it hurts too bad. But when, you, but when the God by the Holy Spirit helps you to look in the mirror and see what's really in there, in the heart, not what other people see, not what you let other people see, no, what's really in there, in the heart, right? You take a look at it. You let God look at it, okay? Jesus says, you clean that 
You clean what's inside, and the rest will take care of itself. You, you work on the greed and the self-indulgence and the lust and the pride and the anger and the bitterness and the unforgiveness and the, the apathy to spiritual things. And you look in the mirror and you clean that. And not what other people see on the outside, but what's on the inside. You clean the inside. And the outside will take care of itself. And that's what God is dealing with. That's what God, that's what God is getting to is he's getting to the heart. That's what the, that's what the whole new covenant is about. That's what Jesus came to do, right? That's the whole point. That Jesus came, Jesus came not to give us religious practices. Jesus came to give us a new heart. Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesied that one day God would put a new heart within his people. That's what the Pharisees needed but didn't have. They had the externals, but they didn't have a new heart. And that's what we need. A person who is honest in heart will be honest in word and deed. A person who is generous in heart will be generous with his resources. A person who's forgiving in heart will be forgiving to others. Clean the inside of the cup and the outside will be clean. Without this, Jesus says, he goes on to say, you're like whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, they appear beautiful, but within, they're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. There's, there's actually some debate, I was kind of surprised to find, about what this means. Um, remember, remember that for the Jews, to touch a dead body is to become unclean. And so graveyards are kind of graveyards kind of put Jews in a precarious situation. And um and so during festivals, so if you became unclean, for example, you would you would then not be able to um worship in the worship in the temple till you till you did the things you needed to do to become ceremonial ceremonially clean. Okay? Now, when a Jewish festival came around, okay, and everybody is going to Jerusalem, all right, to worship at the temple, one thing you would not want to happen is for you to accidentally become unclean. Because then you'd be going all the way over to Jerusalem and then you couldn't do anything because you'd be unclean. You wouldn't be able to, to worship in the temple. And so, um, and so the reason why there's some debate about what Jesus meant here is because apparently there was a, a practice in ancient Judaism, where sometimes they would whitewash tombs, not necessarily to make them look good, but so that you would know that it's a tomb and not just some kind of monument. That way you would know to avoid it so that you wouldn't become unclean while you were on the way to worship at the temple. In other words, one way to read it is that a whitewashed tomb is a symbol for something that you might otherwise want to check out, but that you shouldn't, because it would make you unclean. Of course, the the the, the standard reading is to is to say that they were just making themselves look good on the outside, um, while inside they were unclean. Which, but both cases are true. The point is this: is that 
it's no good. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside if you're dirty on the inside. And that sounds, that sounds harsh to some ears today. But the Bible is actually pretty clear on this. We're all messed up on the inside until Jesus comes and cleans us out. And so we're not trying to, we're not trying to put up a facade. We're not trying to make people think we're better than we are. But the fact of the matter is, is unless we deal with the inside, it doesn't matter what we do to the outside. And what Christianity, what Jesus came to do is he came to deal with the inside to give us new hearts. And so the call to us from this passage is to look in the mirror, right? To look in the mirror, to look on the inside, right? To look on the inside and to see what's there and to take an honest look. You know, and sometimes we need to do this. All right, I need to do this. We need to do this. Sometimes we get things go on and we just, we get kind of spiritually dull and we don't pause to think about what's actually going on in our hearts. So sometimes, and maybe today's that day for us, where we just hit the pause button and we look in the mirror and we say, God, what's going on right now in me? And if you take an honest look, you like me, you might see some things and you say, yeah, I, I see it. It's in there. It's got to come out. It's got to go. And let God help you and kill it and let it go. Get rid of it. Whatever it is, greed, pride, bitterness, lust, worldliness, unforgiveness. Clean the inside of the cup that the outside also may be clean. God will help us. He'll help us. And when you clean the inside, the outside will take care of itself. And we can be the people God has called us to be. He's merciful and gracious. A contrite, David said, a contrite heart. That means a broken heart, a sincere, repentant heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how long you've done it. If you come to God in brokenness over your sin, He's not going to turn you away. He just won't. He'll clean you up and make you new. So, number one, woe for bending the truth. Number two, woe for playing the hypocrite. Finally, number three, woe for despising God's word. Now, look at this here. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 29. Hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have taken part with them in the shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus, you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some of whom you will flog in your synagogues and persecute them from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. 
This is it. This is probably the most fiercest condemnation in the Bible. And I think we're justified in calling it a rejection in God's word. So hear me now. This is very important. This is what Jesus is saying. Woe to those who reject God's word. That's what he's saying. How is, how is that so? Because God sent them what? Prophets. What did prophets do? They spoke God's word. And what did they do to the prophets when the prophets told them what God had to say? They killed them. Woe to those who reject God's word. That's what Jesus, I'm not saying that, Jesus is saying that. And Jesus says that these Pharisees, fascinatingly, they said, oh, oh, if I was alive in my father's day, that's easy to say, isn't it? That's easy to say, isn't it? You know what you've done? You would have done exactly what your dad did. If I was alive in my father's day, I wouldn't have done all that kind of stuff. Things they did. Jesus said, you pronounce judgment essentially on yourself because you testify that you yourselves are sons of your fathers who killed the prophets. In, in Hebrew, it, it works a little bit better in Hebrew because in Hebrew, an, an idiom, a, 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 a common way to speak is to, is to call a, a, a some, somebody a son of something, and it means you it means you belong to it, or you are you are in like manner it. So in saying that the, you're the son of your father is like father like son is basically what he's saying. He's saying by calling yourselves the sons of your fathers who did these things, you unwittingly are identifying with what they did, and not realizing that you're just like them. Despite their protestations, they were indeed their father's sons. And if they had been alive in their father's day, they would have done the same thing. How do we know that? Because they killed Jesus, the greatest prophet who ever lived. More than a prophet, but not less than a prophet. So Jesus says these shocking words, fill up. Then the measure of your fathers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? In other words, if this is, if you can believe this, it's hard to, it's hard, I think it's hard to grasp how, how strong and frankly offensive what Jesus is saying here is. He's saying, you're just like your fathers and guess what? They started filling up the cup and guess what? You're going to fill it, you're going to finish, you're going to finish filling it up to overflowing They're going, to come, they're going to climactically fulfill the sins of their fathers. Be worse than their fathers. They would take the cup that their fathers started to fill and fill it up themselves. And then the next part I think is the most shocking of all. Therefore, verse 34. So this is, Jesus is, is, is giving a, a consequence of what he just said. Because... They are going to fill up to overflowing the measure of their forefathers. God, Jesus, he says, I'm going to send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Now, first of all, 
Who in the world can send prophets? Only God can send prophets. Jesus says, I'm going to send you prophets. This is, this is one of those subtle things that Jesus likes to throw in there that, that identifies him with God. Okay? But he's saying what? I will send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. In order, basically he's saying, in order for you to fulfill the measure of your father. So that what? So that, may, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. My goodness. So I want, if you've never thought about this, you need to think about this, what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm going to send you righteous people so that you can sin more. So that when you sin more, you will be judged more fiercely for it. You see that? That's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to send you more righteous people so that when you treat them wrongly, so that you can be judged more condemnly, you can be condemned more fiercely for your sin. That's what he's saying. So that, in other words, God in judgment... God, in the probably the worst act of judgment that he can do, is he will allow people to sin more. So that when the day of judgment comes, it will be worse for them. It's scary. It's terrifying. It's why we cannot play with sin. Did Jesus lie? No, he didn't lie. They killed Stephen. They killed him. They killed John's brother, the Apostle James, one of the inner three of Jesus' closest friends. John's brother, James, they killed him. They killed Jesus' brother, James. Church tradition says they killed him. Jesus sent these people to preach the gospel to his own people, the Jews, and they killed him. And because of it, all the righteous blood shed on earth from Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, would fall upon that generation. Jesus clearly because the chapter ends with Jesus' lament over Jerusalem, Jesus is anticipating the destruction of Jerusalem. The cataclysmic end of the Jewish nation and the symbol of God's final judgment upon Israel for their rebellion and rejection of their own Messiah, the Son of God. No, I don't think that's the end of the story for the Jews, and there's a lot that can be said about that. But I think the point for us today is this. We have to take sin seriously. And and when you follow God, when you serve God, when you serve God, 
things might not always go easy for you. But that's okay because God's in control. In Sunday school today, I was talking with the kids about 2 Thessalonians. And go read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Says God, it says God considers it just to afflict those who afflict you. In other words, what he's saying is this. He's saying, Christians, we can trust God and we can be like Stephen and be like the two Jameses and not be afraid and stand for Jesus because you know what? No matter what happens to us, God's in control. And no matter what people do to us, God is watching and nobody gets away with anything. And so two things can happen. Either either people who continue in evil will continue in evil and be judged all the more fiercely on the day of judgment, or, and we pray that this happens, or a miracle takes place. For example, the Apostle Paul, who was right there when Stephen was murdered. But guess what? It wasn't too late. Because he met Jesus on that road to Damascus. And yes, he would be, he was a Pharisee. He would have been the one right there under Jesus' condemnation until Jesus met him on that road. And so in other words, (laughs) until the trumpet sounds, we don't know if it's too late for you or not. It might not be too late. So if you're listening and you're watching and maybe you've hardened your heart against God a thousand times. Maybe today's the day that it melts before the presence of God. And who knows that God can't make you like the Apostle Paul. One of the greatest proclaimers of the gospel there ever was. Woe for bending the truth. Woe for playing the hypocrite. And there is a woe for despising God's word. And so what's, what's the thing? You see, when God speaks through the prophets, why, why did they kill the prophets? Because they didn't like what they had to say. Guess what? Sometimes God tells me and tells you, sometimes he tells us things you don't like. The question is, how am I going to respond to it? I can either say, you know what, forget you, God, or I can say, you know what, God? You're right. You're right. I need to change. And when you're at that point, that's when everything can change for you. And God will do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that our sin is great, but your mercy is greater. Thank you, Jesus, that despite your fierce condemnation, just, just condemnation on those who reject you, Lord, you're still so merciful. That even we might be like the Apostle Paul who killed 
prophets and wise men and scribes that you sent, but Lord, you still had mercy. And so, Lord, may I, we can all testify in some way, I know, and maybe there's someone in here, someone listening this morning or listening right now, Lord, who can say in their heart, God, I, I've done the unforgivable. But Lord, you can say, just like you told, just like in essence you told the Apostle Paul, you, do, you don't know how much I can forgive. And so, Lord, I pray that your grace would extend out today and bring people in to the kingdom of God. Lord, I believe you've spoken today. Oh, God, help us to hear it. Let us not despise your word. Let us not reject your word when you speak, God. Help me, help me, help us to listen. In Jesus' name.